Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Today we're going to be discussing a question, uh, Deuteronomy 6 and 4. And I'm going to go ahead and read this text and then I'm going to explain what I'm going to be talking about. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse number 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The question I, I would like to address today is, does Deuteronomy 6 and 4 allow for a trinity? And before I get into that, let me just talk about the importance of this text. Obviously, this is a text that is uh, highly revered by the Jews. It's called the Shema, which comes from the uh, Hebrew word for here in this passage. So I'm going to read it one more time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So where does the question come in? The question comes in because the Hebrew word for one is uh, actually echad. And I want to uh, talk about uh, where uh, Trinitarians actually try to use this word echad to mean that there may be more than one person in view in this passage. Let's go over to Genesis chapter number 2, and uh, we're going to read verse number 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The word one here is the Hebrew word echad. So they would say, because clearly two people are in view in this passage, then Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4 can also include more than one person in this passage. However, one of the arguments that I'd like to give before we get into more of an in-depth ex explanation of this passage is in Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 19, uh, it's clear that the same word is used here, but it definitely means just one. Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 19, and Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one, Echad, was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Clearly, the word Echad uh, here is only talking about one person. And then another example is in Genesis chapter 10 and verse number 25. Genesis 10 and verse 25. Let's go there. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, uh, a servant, uh, sorry, uh, Genesis 10 and 25. Uh, that was. Uh, and unto Eber were born two sons. The name of the one, Echad, was Peleg. So clearly the word Echad does not always mean some type of plurality. It, uh, in these other two passages I just read, it clearly is talking about one. Uh, but maybe that's not good enough for you, and, and maybe you want to uh, have more of an in-depth explanation. Uh, first of all, I, I read this in a commentary, and I thought it was good, talking about uh, verse number five, because verse four says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse five says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And uh, I got this out of a commentary today. God's people must love the one God with their whole being. To ensure this, Israel must avoid three dangers, which will be discussed in later chapters. Paganism, materialism, and egotism. I'm going to read that again. I thought that was good. Paganism, materialism, and egotism. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is that there's a lot of debate about this passage, what exactly it means. What does it mean for the children of Israel? The Lord our God is one Lord. Some would suggest that this just means that Israel is only to have one God. Others have suggested that uh, this is talking about there's only one God. And uh, I, I think both can be in view here. Uh, but let's actually read in the New Testament. Let's go over to the book of Mark, where Jesus quoted this same passage. And I'd like to go to the book of Mark, chapter 12, and verses 29 through 32. 
And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now let me explain. Uh, what had happened was a scribe came up to Jesus and tested him, the Bible says, by asking him, what is the greatest commandment of all? There were many, many different commandments uh, and traditions that uh, were in view. And so he was testing Jesus. And Jesus's response was this. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. Notice that again. He says there is one God, and there is none other but he. This tells us very clearly that uh, Deuteronomy 6 and 4 is talking about there is no other God but one. That is the intention of that passage. But just in case this isn't good enough for you, let me give you some other examples in Scripture. Deuteronomy 4.35, Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God, there is none else beside him. First Samuel 2 and 2, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. There is uh, neither is there any rock like our God. Second Samuel 7.22, Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. First Chronicles 17, 20, O Lord, there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee. Uh, Isaiah 45 and 5, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. Isaiah 45 and 6, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Isaiah 45, 21, tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let us take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Isaiah 44 and 8, fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not. Any. So scripture is very, very clear that there is only one God. And my point here today is that uh, Deuteronomy 6 and 4 is clearly speaking about the fact that there is only one God. It's not just meaning that there's only one God for the Israelites. It also means that there is one God. This is the clear teaching in both the Old and New Testament. Okay, so uh, let me talk a little bit about this then. So if, if scripture is so clear that this is talking about only one God, where do Trinitarians try to argue for finding a Trinity in this passage? And I mentioned the word ekod, but let me just read a few uh, commentaries here today. And I was trying to do some research. Um, one man actually tried to say that it could be translated, Hero Israel, the Lord our gods, plural, is one Lord. His argument comes from the word God being Elohim, which is a plural. We're going to talk about that uh, here for just a couple of minutes. But let me read this commentary here. It says this, The Ten Commandments clearly call for the worship of God alone, no other gods beside me, uh, verse 5 and 7 of Deuteronomy. And verses in the immediate context, chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, elaborate further on worshiping him exclusively for his uniqueness. Although, now this is a Trinitarian commentary, so listen to what they admit here. It's a very important admittance. Although the doctrine of the Trinity is an important truth, that's what they say, it does not seem to be the focus in this verse. 
So this comes from a Trinitarian uh, a commentary, and that was from the Moody commentary, if you're uh, curious. Now, uh, remember, the guy was, that uh, I read earlier that was talking about the Lord our gods is one Lord because Elohim is plural, uh, is trying to say that the word Elohim proves a trinity because it's in the plural form. However, this comes from another uh, Trinitarian commentary. This is from the Apologetic Study Bible, and this is what they had to say about the word Elohim. The Hebrew word for God, Elohim, is grammatically plural, but does not indicate a numerical plural, i.e. God's. Hebrew uses uh, the plural form to indicate honor or intensity, sometimes called the plural of majesty. The pairing of a singular adjective, uh, Psalm 7 and 9, for example, or verb, uh, Genesis 20 and 6, with Elohim shows that the one God is intended. From the Israelite standpoint, the oneness of the true deity is never in question. In Deuteronomy 6 and 4, the Lord, that is Yahweh, the God of Israel, is called our Elohim and declared to be one. So let's read it again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Uh, obviously in the Hebrew, Lord is in all caps. Jehovah, uh, obviously Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh, our Elohim, is one Yahweh. Uh, and then he goes on to say, And thou shalt love the Lord, or Yahweh, thy God, thy Elohim, with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Jews have never seen a plurality in this passage, not a plurality of persons or of anything else. And one thing that is kind of an interesting point to make is that uh, Elohim was not just used of Jehovah, but Elohim was actually used of other gods. One example could be the false god Dagon. Dagon was not a trinity, uh, but it, he was called an Elohim. So Elohim was kind of like a general term for God. Uh, let me also just kind of make this little uh, example here. Uh, the example that I'd, I'd like to make is the English word one. Let's think about that for just a minute. So the English word one, I could say, I am one person. Clearly here, I'm speaking about literally, I am one person. But then I could also say, me and my wife are one. Now, clearly what I'm saying in that sentence is that me and my wife, even though we're two persons, we're of one spirit. I could be talking about we're of one attitude, one spirit. So the English word one is not really unlike the Hebrew word for one, ekad. So uh, like I've pointed out in some of the previous verses talking about uh, Lamech said unto his wives, the name of the one, Echad, was Ada, the name of the other, Zillah. Clearly, the passage indicates that only one person was in view there. And I'm arguing that the same thing can be said about Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4, that hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, Echad, uh, Lord. And so clearly God is saying that there is only one God. And if you look at other parts of the passage, it is very, very clear for this. Read verse 15. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. So uh, obviously God is saying, don't tempt me. Don't put any other gods before me. And uh, one thing that is kind of interesting, and I'll just say this here, and I don't plan to talk very long. Uh, I just wanted to do kind of a little mini lesson here today. But if you go back to the book of Exodus, chapter number 20, 
And uh, I'm going to turn there. And it says this. This is known as the commandments of God. And it says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God. Once again, Yahweh thy Elohim, which had brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So God brought them out from bondage. Clearly, God is now their owner. If somebody was to purchase slaves, uh, obviously he had a right to tell them what to do. Well, God has made Israel his prized possession. He brought them out of bondage, and now he is their owner. He is their possessor. And this is what he says, uh, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So that's the first thing he says here, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto, uh, unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Remember what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I, the Lord uh, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. If you look at that, it's actually talking about thousands of generations. So while he says he visits the iniquity, of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. And some people may say, uh, boy, that's cruel. But then he says, I show mercy unto thousands. Some tra uh, translations actually say thousands of generations that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of thy Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor uh, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, uh, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord, Yahweh, made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord, Yahweh, blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now some people may not think the point I'm about to make is an important point. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and read something here. And uh, I don't usually hear this pointed out, but I do find it interesting. It says, chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 1, In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heaven and the earth. Now, if you flip over and look, Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord, Yahweh, made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord, Yahweh, blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, if you look in Genesis chapter 1, it says Elohim is the one that created, Elohim. Uh, and then it says, verse 3, Elohim. And God said, let there be light. Uh, and then if you go down, verse 9, and God said, Elohim. Again, verse 11, Elohim said. Uh, and this goes on throughout the chapter. And then very, very clearly in chapter number 2, it says, on the seventh day, Elohim ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God, Elohim, blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he rested from all his work which God uh, which God created and made. Now, why am I bringing all of this out? Okay, notice that in Exodus it says Yahweh made heaven and earth, but then in Genesis chapter 1 it says that Elohim made heaven and earth. Okay, let's flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 again and read it one more time. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord... Yahweh, our God, our Elohim, is one Lord. So who created the heavens and the earth? Elohim. And obviously, he's also referred to as Yahweh. That's who he declared himself to be in the burning bush to Moses. 
And so then it says, the Lord our God, Yahweh our Elohim, is one Lord. Clearly, there is only one God that created the heavens and the earth. It was not a divine committee. Uh, it was not a, a group of gods. It was not a, a, a multiplicity of gods. Uh, and also, let me just kind of point something out here. Somebody may say, well, Elohim is plural. Well, if you embrace this, you're actually embracing polytheism because there are some false religions that point to the use of Elohim and say that that proves there was actually a multiplicity of gods that created the heaven and the earth. Uh, but very clearly, it, it, it tells us that Yahweh, our Elohim, is only one God. Only one God created the heaven and the earth. So what is in view in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4 is not a multiplicity of persons. I've already read Trinitarian commentators that admit to this, but it's actually the fact there's only one God. Only one God created the heavens and the earth. Over and over, he says it in the scripture, there is no God beside me. I know not any. And if you have any question, look at what Jesus said. And let's go back and read it one more time, and then I'm going to close this lesson out. Let's go back to Mark uh, and then chapter number 12, and uh, let me pull it up here. Mark chapter number 12, and verses 29 through 32. Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe uh, said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. Somebody might say, well, that's just the scribe that said that. Uh, that wasn't Jesus that said those words. But then if you look, uh, Jesus actually commended him uh, uh, for what he said here. Uh, and it says this, And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, verse 34 of Mark chapter 12, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. So very clearly what the man said was absolutely accurate and correct. His understanding of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4 was correct, that it means there's only one God, that only one God created the heavens and the earth, uh, that there was only to be one God that is worshipped. The Bible tells us there's only one wise God. The Bible tells us that even the devils know that there's one God. They believe it and they tremble. So very clearly, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4 does not teach or even allow for a, multiplicities of, of, uh, a multiplicity of persons in the Godhead. That's the reason why um, the Jew to this day still sees the Trinity as a direct violation of Scripture because their number one commandment, uh, their creed, if you will, is Deuteronomy 6 and 4, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So hopefully this little discussion has helped you here today. Um, I appreciate those of you that have tuned in to listen to this. Um, I really just did this live because it's easier to post it once I get through doing it like this. But I wanted to discuss this passage. I woke up with this passage on my mind this morning. And, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of times, I've actually heard Trinitarians point to Deuteronomy 6 and 4 and say that doesn't really prove anything because of Echad. And something that might surprise you, the first person I ever heard uh, use this to try to prove the doctrine of the Trinity was a quote-unquote Christian Jew. Uh, and he was arguing with a rabbi who said, how can you say that there's a Trinity when Deuteronomy 6 and 4 clearly teaches that there's only one Lord? And he said, do you know the first time the word ekkad is used in the Bible? And the man was quiet. He said, the first time it's used is when it says the two shall be one flesh, ekkad. And he says, see there, there's two 
people clearly there, but it says the two shall be one. And so he says, just because it says there's only one God doesn't mean that there can't be a multiplicity of persons. So that's the reason why I wanted to discuss this today, because it's very, very clear if you just harmonize it with other portions of Scripture. And that's why it's so important that if you ever have a question about a certain passage in the Bible, harmonize it with the rest of the Scripture. A good scriptural principle is out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. And I understand there's doctrines in Scripture that may only be mentioned one time. That doesn't mean they're not valid. But uh, clearly, it's good. It's a good scriptural practice to have more than just one Scripture. And remember, this is not just listed one time. This is listed multiple times, even in the New Testament. When Jesus quoted it and the scribe answered, he understood it as there being no other God but he. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.